I'm Carl Ulrich, Vice Dean of Entrepreneurship and Innovation at the Wharton School, and this is Launchpad, where I talk to successful entrepreneurs about the secrets to launching and growing their startups. I'm really lucky to be joined in the studio by Stacy Mosley, the founder and CEO of FixList, and Jumbe Po, co-founder and CTO of FixedList. Stacy and Jumbe, thanks for coming in. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. All right. Well, the first thing I want to do is just point our listeners to your website, and it's. I want to be careful with the domain. the The name is Fix List, just the word Fix and List put together. dot co. So be careful with that co. Fixlist. dot co. Let's see, Stacy. Why don't you kick us off by giving us the elevator pitch for Fixlist? Sure. So Fixlist is a real estate data analysis company that provides tools and services to developers, investors, and nonprofits in major urban markets across the country um, um, with the ability to then find properties that are ripe for redevelopment. Uh, so things that fit their development profile, whether they like to do small-scale residential or commercial mixed use, um, things that may m- fit their profile but are not necessarily actively for sale. Mm-hmm. W- why is that hard, Stacy? So in a city like Philadelphia, we have almost 600,000 properties, and it can be very challenging to analyze that data if you don't have data analysis skills. And a lot of times in real estate, it's a very traditional market where people really get to know the neighborhood. They walk the streets frequently um, and find properties through just boots-on-the-ground methods. Um, But we are using data analysis to really help surface opportunities that they may not have seen otherwise. Mm -hmm. Okay, Jim. I, I heard the keywords data analysis and you're the CTO, so maybe you're the data guy. Tell us what the data tell us what data you actually can get access to. Sure. Um, so uh, it's interesting both of us are actually the data people for the company. Um, I, I focus a lot on uh, the infrastructure that we have for, for pulling in our data and um, Stacy actually uh, does a lot with the, the actual uh, the, the actual data that we actually pull in. Um, but you can get access to uh, all of the uh, all of the data around. Um, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, so, so well, most let of me the da- let me ask you sure. a different way. Let me uh, tell you a story, which is I I bought a I bought a um, a piece of property out of foreclosure, and I was I was literally walking the streets, and one of the guys in the neighborhood said. You know, just start chatting, and he said, "All right, here's what you gotta do. You gotta go to this website of the county, and you look for the property list, and then you look for the bank ones that are bank owned, and then maybe you can get all." So, are are you looking at public records? So yes, yeah. we're looking at public records. One of the things that's nice about FixList is that, like you said, like you have to go to a number of different sites. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's some twenty some odd sites that we're pulling in data from for Philadelphia alone. Mm-hmm. Um, and in order to normally get access to that data, you have to know where all of those different uh, data sources are and be able to join them with each other. Uh, whereas with FixList, we're doing all of that work for you. Okay. Now, so if I understand correctly, then you don't have access to anything proprietary per se. Is is that right? So there, in the sense that all of this data is publicly available, just right. hard to get to. Yes. Yeah. All okay. of the data that we're working with right now is publicly available. Yeah. All right, Stacy. Back to you. Give it. Give us a sense of a little bit more about who this target customer is. Sure. So, so as a small business, we've been finding that 
as an evolving thing um, ourselves. Um, our original product, so our subscription service, which is very self-service, is something that we've found a lot of small-scale developers who are fixing up single multifamily row homes, mm-hmm. um, smaller smaller projects that are frequently less than a million dollars, um, are are using the tool to find more opportunities to to develop. Um, whereas our other services, um, which are more custom at the moment, are more more so attracting larger scale developers on the nonprofit and for profit side, who maybe are looking to invest five million plus in capital and focus on larger projects or larger swaths of of area. Yeah, how how is the service actually delivered to the to the user how do they actually what what in what form yeah, yeah. Um, so our self-service subscription is available online folks can check out a free trial mm-hmm. play around with the data um, and then sign up if they if they're enjoying the product um, and our custom services people reach out to us more directly at the mm-hmm. at the moment but are more um, delivered in reports that are very rich in maps and charts, really digging into things like demographic data, crime data, and looking at more qualitative trends as well um, that we are looking to uh, automate in time. Yeah. And on on the off-the-shelf product, the subscription product, uh, give me a sense of what I pay for it. So right now it's $135 a month, and that gives you access to a lot to search up to 150 assets in the city. Mm-hmm. So we have priced our service based upon the volume of data that people get to consume using it, mm-hmm. um, which was something that we have played around with and uh, learned over time would would be probably the the best way to price it at the moment. Yeah. In terms of price per unit of data is something that we're still playing around with yeah. and learning what the market is willing to accept um, as as well as be attracted to. Um, but that's that's kind of the price point that we've seen some of the mid-sized developers purchase at. So yeah. folks who know what they're looking for in the data can really make a lot of use of it. Um, that's, that's a price point they're willing to pay. You know, I, I wanna, this is periodically, I'll, I'll try to underscore some things that I think are general, generalizable. And I would say that this question of how to tier pricing is is a pretty common problem. And I think you've done it in a nice way and in a fairly, I would say a fairly standard way, which is a, you have you make it really easy to try. Mm-hmm. And I, I signed up this afternoon. I was really worried, okay, when are they going to ask my credit card? When is there <laughs> going to be the cancellation? But you make it really easy just to get started with a free trial. And then you have these two tiers, one of them pretty accessible, $135 a month. And I'm sure if I were doing that many searches, I'd be willing to go up to the to the upper tier. And then it sounds like you even have an, an upper upper tier, which is the custom right. service. Did you, to, to focus, just to underscore this pricing thing, how much have you fussed with that uh, and experimented as opposed to guessed and hope it's right? Yeah. Uh, so I think all of them have been guesses right now. <laughs> I think we've, we've... You haven't got your CEO bluffing skills down yet. <laughs> well, I mean, it's a, it's a radio show also for entrepreneurs, so okay, I'll try to yeah. be as candid yeah, as possible. Right, good. Um, yeah. So we probably, we've changed it twice mm-hmm. from its original. So or I might have been three times already. Yeah, um, originally, it was $99. Mm. And I saw people readily, and this was before we had a free trial. Yeah. And so just based upon 
are are launching in the press. We had a number of people sign up at that price point sight unseen. I had mm. never spoken with them and I was like, oh, this is too low. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we knocked it up to 125. Okay, so, so just to underscore, you, what you were looking at was the bounce or the balk rate after they got to a certain screen where they got was that what you were looking at? Yeah. And you were saying it was too low. They weren't bouncing at all. They were just signing. You said, uh-oh, maybe we're leaving some money on the table. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think that's the, the question when it comes to pricing pretty frequently and something that we've discussed a lot. Um, but what ended up happening um, was we were also trying to cater to the kind of first-timer developer market. Mm. So there's a group in, in Philadelphia called Jumpstart Germantown where they're educating people, residents of the Germantown neighborhood, in how to both uh, plan, uh, find a project, and finance a project. Mm. And they're, they're very much first-timers. Um, and so folks like that, where they don't necessarily know exactly what kind of return they're going to get, are not willing to pay as much yeah. and maybe don't have as much to work with. So we've played around with having a smaller scale tier as mm -hmm. well. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, Jimbei, I, I, I walked through the site a little bit this afternoon, but I, and but I wonder if you can walk us through what the actual user experience is. So how do I, how do I, I sit down at this screen, what do I see mm -hmm. and how do I use it? Sure. So, um, a few a few weeks ago, we actually split the the initial experience into both uh, one one screen for uh, smaller and mid-sized developers who are looking to use the SaaS product, and then one screen for larger developers who are looking for more custom enterprise uh, services. Mm -hmm. So I'm just going to focus on the uh, the the SaaS product yeah. right now. But um, before you do that, mm -hmm. let me just take that point itself and underscore another general principle, which is I, I always tell my students, think about the job the user's trying to get done when they arrive at your website and make really sure that if you've got a segmented market like you do, an enterprise and a small developer customer, that they immediately know where to click to get to the right solution. And you've done a pretty nice job of that. So you have two buttons, one's small developer, one's enterprise. And I think that's also a good general principle. So, so let's say I click on the small developer mm -hmm. site and that lands me where? Sure, so after yeah. you click on that, um, you are uh, you're able to sign up for a free trial, mm. uh, and you know, like Stacy was saying, this is something that we we added in um, fairly early on, but not when the product first launched. Um, for that, with that free trial, uh, when you go to sign up, you put in your um, name, your email address, your organization, uh, and what you're given is. Uh, a certain number of credits. I think we, we give maybe 20 credits with the free tower right now. Um, and with those credits, you can explore. You can, um, after you sign up, you get dropped into our search interface. Mm. Uh, and what that gives you is on the left side of the screen, uh, a ton of different filters where you can filter by, uh, by address, by neighborhood, by um, condition of the property, by uh, who the owner is and how accessible the owner is, whether they're very easy to get in touch with or more difficult, um, uh, by square footage, by a number of different, mm -hmm. uh, different uh, criteria about the properties you're looking for. Um, and after you filter, after you find what kinds of, after you find a good, a good set of criteria that give you properties that you're interested in, you can go into any given one of those properties and find out more details, um, such as uh, the list of violations that have been mm. um, uh, levied against the property or uh, 
the valuation history of different properties in the surrounding neighborhood or um, the specific contact information for that uh, for that property's owner. Um, so that's that's uh, that's that's what you get um, after you log in. Now, if you go through those credits, then um, you'll be prompted uh, to uh, sign up for a larger plan at that point. Um, but the the free trial gives you a chance to play around yeah. and uh, see what's in there. Yeah. So I I would characterize it as a you're using that left pane as a dynamic filter on the results, which has come to be sort of a standard way of doing things. So mm-hmm. it's even the way Amazon, yeah, it's the way right. Amazon does. Sure. I want to see just Adidas. I can click on the left and my list will get filtered. So you basically take that metaphor or mm-hmm. that that approach to user interface and apply it in this case. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. Well, and I think our conversations before we actually built the interface, um, conversations with developers and just having like paper mock-ups, mm. that was something that, Seem to be seem to read as the common language um, yeah. for for filtering product. Yeah. yeah, and so just to underscore another key, a design principle, I would say, which is if people are used to a certain way of doing things and if it works well, just don't mess with it. Just go with that. <laughs> and so I would call it actually originated, and I was tempted to call your service. Uh, the kayak of of abandoned <laughs> properties, right? Because because kayak was the one that originated that left yeah. fil- left pane dynamic mm-hmm. filter. So, um, so so uh, Stacy, uh, w- when you say that we have six hundred thousand properties, these are these properties are not for sale. So what do, what characterizes what? Why isn't every property on there? For instance, what what gets what what do you have to what has to be true about your property for it to end up on fixed list? So we do have every asset in the city. And there are only 600,000. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's only six. We have a population here of about 1.6 million at this point. Um, but in terms of housing stock, it's right around like 580,000. No exactly. kidding. Yeah. You have every single property. Yep. So I can find my house. on yep. that. Yeah. Wow. Um, and I wonder what it'll say about the owner. <laughs> <laughs> you might be very accessible yeah. if you're uh, paying your taxes yeah, and yeah. it's all yeah. up to code. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah so wow. it's it's yeah. every asset. And that's that's really what w- excites us about expanding to other markets mm. in time is then being able to look across every asset yeah. in Baltimore, every asset yeah. in D.C. Um, and also in time adding more analytics around what those opportunities might entail. Mm-hmm. Um construction around each of these properties what's the what's the rate of change um, being able to fold the demographics into the the actual service itself so that if you're a developer out in Chicago but mm-hmm. you're interested or even an investor is probably a more probable situation that's interested in investing across different markets um, it helps them de-risk their situation um, but then they can get a very granular view without necessarily having to physically be there yeah um- Stacy, where were you there in day one? Where's the idea come from? Yeah. yeah. Um, so tell us about the origin story. Yeah. yeah. So I worked for the city of Philadelphia for five years, and there I worked for the first three on the city's vacant property strategy. Mm. So it was very inspiring um, going into government and essentially being tasked with finding the owners of all of these vacant buildings um, that were in need of being fixed up and trying to then figure out, okay, if we've got up to 50,000 vacant properties in in Philly alone, um, how are we going to use our legal enforcement measures 
on those properties knowing we only have so many inspectors we only have so much court time and so i was i was working with a bunch of interns managing collection of ownership data and then creating these algorithms to figure out okay who are we going to have the most success with both geographically like elements about the owner were they alive were they dead um and figuring out things like okay well we only have 50 court slots like these are the ones we should really knock it out of the park with um so that was really the inspiration for having data influence and make an impact on the built environment and it was really satisfying at the time because even in my own neighborhood where i lived in fairmount um there were a few properties that I had we had cited through the program mm-hmm. and I then was seeing the work being done mm. and they had been sitting vacant for years. And so it was really, really empowering to know that that could that impact could be made just from behind my computer. Yeah. <laughs> um, so from there, I, I worked on the open data movement, um, which is a relatively new movement as of about 2012 uh, globally where it's really picked up speed of government entities publishing their administrative records online. And as Junbei was saying earlier, like it's it's really challenging to marry that information unless you know kind of the details of how it's collected in mm. the first place. Um, so I kind of clicked um, seeing the opportunity to have this information be utilized by the private sector um, because government can only really do so much to solve the vacancy problems mm-hmm. to begin with. Mm-hmm. Stacy, I want to follow up. So we we people often say to entrepreneurs, what's your unfair advantage? And your unfair advantage was you knew the insides of, of this data uh, because you'd worked in the government. But I wouldn't characterize government municipal employees as a hotbed of entrepreneurial uh, source material. So wh- what were you doing there? And when did you say at some point, uh, I think I need to leave here and do it in the private sector? Yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I initially graduated and worked for a startup right out of college. Ah. And it was 2009, um, so right in the middle of the recession. And I was very fortunate to to be there as long as I, I was. Um, this was at a company called Ticket Leap in Philadelphia. Mm. And I was also part of the expansion, but then also like they're cutting a large chunk of the staff once they had funding problems. Um, so at the time in 2010, I was looking for something that I could feel like I was making a difference, um, where I could feel like I was making a difference, but also that was like a stable mm. environment. And government seemed to be fraught with problems. Um, there was like the rise of technocrats in Italy, and I was just like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna help like systematize this in a better way and make it more efficient um, with my engineering skills. And I was fortunate to find a team that really worked like a startup in-house. Okay, but that was in-house. And is this still in-house? Oh, oh. Um, <laughs> so we're definitely private. Okay, we, so yeah. what's the in-house? So, so, so we're now out of house. Yes, so that, yes. That, so, so um, all right. So, so Junbei, when did you, when, how did you guys meet? So I, I don't actually remember how we originally met, yeah. but we worked together at the city. Um, okay, so you were also in the city. Yeah. I joined the city about mm, six months before Stacy left. Um, and, uh, so that's, that's where we kind of got closer and, uh, you know, started 
started talking about the possibilities of working on something at that point it was you know stacy's uh stacy's idea yeah um she hadn't actually gone out and done it yet um and so uh great so I, this is the mental image yeah you're on the philly payroll scheming to leave <laughs> the city <Yeah. laughs> just <teasing. laughs> You're both you're both in your cubicles. It's like we're gonna get out of here. Actually, even worse, after they bailed you out of the recession and gave you stable employment. For five years though. Um, And that program, the vacant strategy, made like well over a million and a half while I was there. Good, good, good. Okay. So so uh, all right, so the answer was you saw this opportunity, but the and felt that was it was it really the pull of the entrepreneurial opportunity or was it really that you thought look there's no way this thing's gonna get done if somebody on the outside doesn't do it i mean i think it was a bit of both um i certainly it was the end of the mayoral administration that we were coming up to as well and i Mm -hmm. i foresaw a lot of slowdown ahead, um, probably for at least a year and a half after the transition, um, which is something that as an outsider, I I heard at length about as well, um, once I was on the other side. But it was it was certainly the entrepreneurial spirit as well, because open data is a new frontier. Mm -hmm. There are only so many markets that are publishing this information um, and are supporting supporting it on a daily refresh in some cases. Um, and so larger companies are not necessarily looking to incorporate that information right away because if they're already in like 200 markets and that information is only available in 10, like they're not going to touch it yet. Um, so I saw that as a, as a huge opportunity to really get ahead of the curve. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Jumbe, let me change the subject just a little bit, which is, um, you're, you guys are working in Philadelphia, which is not Silicon Valley. It wouldn't, you wouldn't think of this as being the epicenter of web-based SaaS products. Um, what advice would you give somebody outside those la- outside the Silicon Valley labor market if they want to build a tech product like this? Um, well, why, or, or you could just tell it how, how you guys did it and, and what, what about that might be generalizable. Yeah. So the way that we did it... Um, is again Stacy had the idea uh, mm-hmm. and she also had the 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 deep knowledge of the 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 raw resources that we were using the data um and uh over the course of uh about i don't know 6, six months. months or so um she and I met weekly uh mm-hmm. and uh, just I I have a background in web development. Mm-hmm. I know Django very well. I use it for a lot of projects. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I started teaching her uh, just the fundamentals of web development. Mm-hmm. And over that time, um, just with that uh, assistance from me, uh, she was able to put together the initial version of the product. Um, so I don't know. I guess, I guess what's generalizable about that is... Uh, the the reason that I was so one of the reasons uh, that I was so eager to help Stacy succeed is because I knew that she was so passionate about her idea one and also that she uh, was the right person to do it too and just that she's a good person and mm-hmm. I've seen the uh, good things that uh, she's done for the city and for other people and so on so um, and also she's my friend and I'm I'm fond of her yeah so um i would say uh uh 
use the use the networks that you have. Mm. Stacy uh, Stacy has a uh, a real ability to just um, ask people to do things without being without feeling like it's it's um, you know it's 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 an outsized ask. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like that's a good ability to have a good uh, thing to cultivate. Um, so use the use the networks that you have um, in whatever ways you can um, be good to people and they'll want to be good to you. Yeah. Well, let me actually we just have about 30 seconds. But, but Stacy, what's your take on that? So how how would you do if you're doing again? What's what are the generalizable principles or approaches on how you build a tech product when you're not necessarily a tech person? So that was that was after years of, of like Jimbei said, cultivating my network so that yeah. when the time came, I knew that if there were languages that I didn't know, who who did I know that knew them and where could I go to learn more? Um, and kind of similarly, even just in in getting to know the industry that you're building a product for, really focusing on what are the associations that folks are 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 centering around in that industry here. I, I go to a lot of Urban Land Institute events, mm-hmm. and I've learned way more about um, the market opportunity and mm-hmm. the, the way that the market works in real estate um, from people within that. Yeah. All right. Well, the time flew. We're actually out of time. So, uh, Stacy and Jumbe, thanks so much for coming into the studio. Thank you. Thank you for having us. All right. So, for more information about FixList, just go to fixlist.co. I'm Carl Ulrich. Vice Dean of Entrepreneurship and Innovation at Wharton. Launchpad is produced by Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, on Sirius XM Channel 111. The show airs live on Wednesdays from 7 to 9 p.m. You can find more episodes of this podcast on SoundCloud or on iTunes.